1: Four oh nine on your Tuesday. Ask the experts here on WHBY is it is time for law talk with Hurling Clark Law Firm and joining us this week from Hurling Clark is Kelly Kelly. Hello, Kelly.
0: Well, hi. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having us. Abs- this has been a fun uh, adventure for Hurling Clark.
1: Absolutely. Well, we're, we're glad to have you back and um, go ahead and introduce your guest today.
0: Well, I am here today with Ms. Tracy Plamen. Uh, Tracy is. Uh, She can give you more details, but Tracy works with Harbor House, has had many hats that she's worn, um, and she and I have worked on some projects together over the years. I practice in the family law area primarily, which typically involves divorce, uh, custody, placement issues, and in some of those cases there are situations where I need to reach out to experts. Uh, One of those experts that I reach out to is Tracy uh, in the area of abuse, neglect, uh, domestic violence for both, the parties, and the children. Um, Tracy's been a really great resource to a lot of us in the family law community, and I thought we could talk about how divorce or family law intersect with uh, domestic violence and some of the experiences she's had versus some of the things that I've dealt with. So, Tracy, could you introduce yourself and uh, let everyone know who you are and what you do?
2: Sure. So, my name is Tracy Ploman and I'm the Community Education Coordinator with Harbor House Domestic Abuse Programs. Um, I spent the first 10 years at Harbor House as a children's advocate, and that's when I first started uh, getting uh, familiar with with uh, family law and divorce and custody issues um, because many of our clients uh, have to deal with that. And what are you presently doing with Harbor House? Um, So I do community education. So I go either go out into the community or bring the community in and try to raise awareness and educate about the uh, topic of of domestic violence and also um, Harbor House Services. Uh, Most people think that we are primarily a shelter program, and the shelter actually is one of, I think, about eight programs that we have and not even really our largest program. So I try to help people uh, become, uh, be able to recognize it better, respond uh, to victims better, and then refer.
0: You know, it's interesting because when I have people coming in as a client or a potential client, uh, oftentimes the uh, domestic violence or the abuse uh, has been going on. It, It typically doesn't start while I'm representing somebody. You, on the other hand, have met with people that have been in relationships, and they may be in relationships for months or years before they are able to make the step to finally say, I need to permanently be out of this relationship, whether it's um, a divorce or it's a you know, separation because they're not married, but they share children together or even don't share children together, but are in a relationship. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, your experience with the length at which people will stay in relationships and, and how
2: it is that they're able to finally decide that they need to leave a, a, a bad relationship? Sure. Yeah. Usually what happens is, it, I mean, it, it's not bad right away. And right. so you become invested and and you you know, you care about the people and you develop a very, uh, you know, a deep connection and you love the person. Um, and so it the, you know, the the unhealthy stuff comes once, you know, once you kind of get into the relationship and it isn't always, you know, people always say, well, you know, if, if he or she ever hits me but right. that isn't that isn't kind of that isn't the daily stuff i 'm not saying that it does doesn 't happen because physical violence obviously does but it 's the other stuff it 's the isolation and the manipulation and the degrading and the emotional abuse and the verbal that happens kind of on the you know every single day and and a lot of people don 't realize that that's all a part of Domestic violence and all a part of the unhealthy relationship also um, when I go out and I do my presentations, I often remind people two things: one, the bad doesn 't erase the good, so those bad moments don 't erase all the good moments that that are there, and so it 's hard to um, you know to only see one over the other and <clears throat> And then, you know, the other is that, um, especially for victims who have, were child victims, when they grew up in that, that's what they know. And many times they try to compare and say, well, you know, uh, he or she, yeah, he or she does this, but, you know, my mom or dad did that. And when you're a child, it's like you're an open wound. And by the time you become an adult and get into your adult relationships, you kind of scarred over. So they're sort of justifying their continuation
0: in their relationship because maybe their experiences when they were younger in their mind were were less severe or not as bad and so what they're living right now is acceptable to them to some level right exactly you know um you talked about the bad doesn't erase the good when you're dealing with children in um, in relationships uh, their parents are are splitting up uh, is that a focus with children in in their education and their therapy is to focus on the good times so that it helps them be able to deal with and move past the bad times is that uh, an angle
2: well we i mean most we let the, we let the kids lead you know where they need where they need us to go with them and and so that that's all of it that's you know we want them to be able to learn to talk and to trust and to process through things so that we can help them build some resiliency and and, and some coping skills that's that 's our main thing you know a big part of it too is that as kids grow, they learn right from wrong and and we don 't ever want to put them in a position of of thinking that about either parent and so uh, we don 't talk negative about either parent, right. we try to just help process through. Uh, the situation whether it's good or bad but we we certainly want to incorporate both that's something that family
0: law attorneys we all I believe do stress or we at least should is that regardless of the the situation as to why parties are ending their relationship it is always absolutely critical to keep the children out of it I can't tell you from my experience how many times the absolutely horrifying things I've heard one parent say to the child or in front of the child about the other parent, uh, about something the other parent has done, and they absolutely don't realize the damage they're causing the child and they're causing their relationship with that child because no child wants to hear anything bad about their parent, whether it is from mom or dad, grandma, grandpa, something like that. Um, The other component, I think, that people don't realize and, and recognizing that when people are getting a divorce, for example, they're not in their best frame of mind. I mean, it's a a traumatic event. It's a difficult process. People don't want to be there. Um, So they might not be making the best decisions. But when you say something about someone's uh, parent, that child then is going to develop a little bit of resentment because it's you're saying something bad about my mom or my dad. And maybe the child can see that Uh, It's a a bad circumstance, but they're still going to not appreciate you saying something bad about their parent. And so we as family law practitioners always remind people, do not say things in front of your children, whether you think it's true, because sometimes people will justify it and say, but it's true. I don't care if it's true. You are doing damage to your child. That is going to last far longer than this divorce process.
2: Right, exactly. And we we see that a lot. I mean, you know, the majority of cases with kids... um, the other thing that happens um, um, when you have one or both parents that are constantly talking negative about the other parent to the child or even in front of the child um, is that the child takes on some of that burden. Mm-hmm. And so, sure. you know, if they see a parent maybe not doing some healthy things and then they hear bad things, then they sometimes kind of take – they're a product of that of that parent. And so, um, you know, the other thing that we don't want to do is ever take the right – of the child to love their parent away, right. and by saying negative things, then they have to stop and go, "Okay well, you know I, I I love my mom, am I not supposed to and we don't ever want to put them in that position or make them feel guilty about it too, because
0: i've had cases where um Let's say, for example, mom is, is bad-talking dad in front of maybe grandma and grandpa. And so then all these people that this child loves and, and looks up to and, and seeks for support are saying bad things about the other parent. And so this child's not going to, to say, well, no, dad's actually a great guy in front of all these other people because the child's going to feel bad about that. And so I'm sure the internal conflict is pretty hard for a child who whose parents are now not intact anymore Going through this to deal with, right? Um, and parents need to recognize that. Uh, and I don't know what else you might have to say on that topic.
2: You know, that it's just a really hard one. We we try really. One of the things that I tried to do when I was working with families <clears throat> was was just kind of have them have a kind of a no mom zone and a no dad zone. So when you're with whatever parent you're with, try to focus on that moment in that environment in that relationship and don't bring in the other right. if the child does that's fine and you can respond to that um, but it really it would be better for the child and honestly your relationship with the child and I don't care which parent this is it's better for you if you just focus on your relationship in your environment All right, it's
1: it's 419 let's take a break right now it's law talk with hurling uh, Clark Kelly Kelly with hurling Clark and our guest today Tracy Ploman of Harbor House, and we'll continue our Ask the Experts Law Talk coming up after this on HBY. Another edition of Law Talk with Herling Clark, Kelly Kelly, and her guest Tracy Plamen of Harbor House with us here in the WHBY studio.
0: All right, we're back. So we were talking over break here. Um, one of the things that I will do when parties come in, and, and certainly I will have a client come in that's already been served paperwork, I will have a client that comes in that um, wants to file as a joint petitioner with their spouse, or I will have someone that comes in because they need to file immediately for some reason. I do also have situations where somebody is thinking that a divorce is on the horizon and they're just wondering how they can best prepare. Um, Really, I don't have a crystal ball, so that's a difficult question to answer, but one of the things that I do try to have people gauge and think about is letting their spouse in on the fact that a divorce is coming down the pipe and it has to be a good circumstance to do that. There needs to be uh, decent enough communication between the parties. It needs to be a a safe conversation. Um, If all those things are present, I think it's more helpful for the process and really for their children to have the other spouse not be surprised by being served paperwork. Likewise, if parents both acknowledge that the, the marriage is ending, I sometimes will say, hey, do you think your children are going to react Um, in such a way that maybe getting them into counseling and and have a safe environment for them to understand what's happening and and go through the transition, Um, sometimes people will agree, sometimes they won't. But we try to do a little planning, so to speak, to make the process a little bit easier. And sometimes that's slower on the outset because of, of counseling and walking through it. But I think it does better in the long run for people. You know, you have to crawl before you walk. What, what types of uh, talks do you have with people or what experiences do you have with people on giving them forewarning if, if that's something that you can do?
2: Yeah, we don't usually have that luxury, I guess. Um, many times uh, when we have a, a victim of domestic violence who's finally to the point where they want, they want out and they feel um, that they don't have any other choice, um, it's either not safe enough for them to tell their partner ahead of time or uh, the partner or the situation has already kind of blown everything up and and everybody kind of knows. And so we're usually reactive, so we're trying to, you know, um, if we get involved and in we get involved with the kids, then we're just trying to help the kids cope and process through things and, and those sorts of things. Um, so we don't really, usually we don't have uh, the luxury of, of being able to kind of lay that out and plan. And I absolutely agree with you 100%. Um, I think I've always been, uh, I've always believed that the kids cope when the parents cope. Um, when the parents don't, um, aren't civil, and they do not they don't deal with this well, then the kids struggle more. And that is absolutely domestic violence. There's usually one that wants out but is scared and one that doesn't want out and is very angry. And and then the kids kind of end up being, um, you know, secondary victims and all that, and and they really struggle. Um, but I do believe that that we can help kids through it, and kids will cope and they'll be resilient if the adults in their life do the same. You
0: know, there's a, evidently a whole volume of, of research of children's brain development and um, in the area of divorce, and study after study tells us that regardless of the parents' relationship and and reasons why they're getting a divorce, how the parents handle the divorce, especially around the children or the perception the children have, is going to be directly impacting how the children deal with that. So if mom and dad are an absolute nightmare to deal with, can't stand each other, can't sit in the same gymnasium together for a a volleyball match, that will affect the child. Um, So sometimes you just, as a parent, have to understand that that is going to impact your child even more so than uh, just about anything else. How you react to this major event for them is going to shape a lot of their things and, and, as you mentioned earlier, might shape the way that they handle relationships moving forward for themselves.
2: Right, right, and you know that's that's a big part of the problem is that you know especially with domestic violence it's a it's a generational cycle and when that's what you live in that's what you learn and that's kind of what you know and then you move on into you know the next phase of your of your life with that you know to to kind of to, as your your bearings and so um, a lot of times we have people that come in that really need to learn what a healthy relationship is because they've never experienced it. Um, Because as children, they grew up in it. And then as, again, as teenagers, and like we talked about when we first came in, you know, nationally, one in three girls, I think, between the ages of 16 and 22 experience some form of dating violence. So, you know, that's that's our high school and college-age girls um, who are already experiencing this. And so, and and most of them don't tell anyone right. when it's happening. And so, it's it's just a you know, it's a huge huge issue. And unfortunately, too many people don't don't recognize healthy um, or what is healthy. And they kind of just, like you said before, they just kind of justify the things because you care about the person and you've invested and and you know your goal is to make this work. Right. And and
0: if you have children together, that adds a whole other layer of reasons why people say, I, I stayed in this relationship. I can't tell you how many people over the years that have told me that they, for whatever reason, wanted to not be in that marriage, but they stayed for literally decades until their children were, you know, graduated high school or until the children, you know, got married or, or something like that. So um, people do do, do certainly stay in relationships for, for all sorts of reasons but for a long time if, if they just aren't ready to make that decision. Yeah. We've been talking about just generically the, the topic of domestic violence. You and I know there's all different types of domestic violence and that manifests itself in all sorts of ways. Can you tell everyone a few of the examples or ways in which domestic violence can uh, be handled or, or be perpetrated?
2: Well, I think, like I said, most people see uh, domestic violence as physical, right. so it 's the you know the hitting and the kicking and those sorts of things and they don't um, most people unfortunately don 't realize that that the everyday stuff that happens is the the verbal abuse and the the manipulations and the in, intimidation and the isolation isolation usually is one of the first things that happens where the partner will try to isolate you away from your away from your friends and away from your family um, so that your support system, you don't have your support system anymore. So you don't have someone that you can
0: talk to or, or bounce some ideas off and say this is what's happening in my relationship because
2: then you might change the relationship. So right. you want to eliminate those people from your circle. Right. And and then basically when when I've – when you've established isolation, all the other stuff works. E- it's easier for me to do that. It's easier for me to yell and scream and swear and call you names and and you, manipulate you and intimidate you and and um, you know use financial abuse. It's it's a, or and use children. It's a whole lot easier for me to do those things once I've isolated you away from your support systems. Right.
1: All right, it's 4.30. We're going to take our bottom-of-the-hour news break, come back with more of Law Talk with Hurling Clark, Kelly Kelly, and her guest today, Tracy Plowman of Harbor House, as we continue on here on our Tuesday. Ask the experts on HBY. 4.35 on WHBY Law Talk with Hurling Clark. Kelly Kelly with Hurling Clark with us and her guest today from Harbor House, Tracy Plowman. One
0: area that we... Uh spend a lot of time talking about earlier today was the topic of restraining orders. And from my vantage point, The term restraining order in the public has a lot of different meanings, but uh, when I think of a restraining order, I think of a harassment restraining order or injunction or a domestic violence restraining order or injunction. Um, There are different restraining orders that you can put into place with law enforcement, Uh, you know, no contact orders. There are different types of restraining orders that are in family law cases, Um, you know, and sometimes I think the public at large has a, a not great understanding about the definition of a restraining order, and it's because we all use the term so flippantly. Um, People will call and and ask if they can get a restraining order because of this or because of that. But one thing I do think in family law that uh, when you have a safety concern or a history of of domestic violence, um, it is helpful to have some more uh, detailed provisions regarding behavior and conduct and um, ability to be around the other parent or things that you can and cannot do as as a layer of protection. Um, And oftentimes we'll incorporate that type of language into an agreement rather than going to the step of actually filing a restraining order because that's a whole separate process. Uh, There's different legal burdens. There's different court hearings and things that you have to do. Um, and one of the things that we talk about as family law practitioners is, is this restraining order, as a, is a separate civil restraining order, not something in the family law case, is that filed and is that used as a sword or a shield? And by that I mean is it used as a protection because of uh, what somebody's in, encountering in a relationship or by somebody else, or is it a, a sword in order to set yourself up better in your family law case? Um, As an example, uh, let's say I'm getting a divorce and I really want to stay in the house. And I don't think I have a better legal argument than my spouse does to keep the house. And so I know that if my spouse has a restraining order, I'm going to get to keep the house because he's going to get kicked out of the house for some period of time. Um, And I've, I've had people come in with that mentality to use it as a sword. It's not necessarily because... They have a, a legal case to make for a restraining order, but it's more of a uh, posturing in their divorce case. I know you've got experience with restraining orders at, at, through Harbor House. What what do you see on your end?
2: Well, I think for us, when we have somebody that comes in um, wanting a restraining order, one and one of the things that I mentioned to you earlier is um, a lot of of victims of domestic violence are afraid to file for restraining orders because they're going to they're going to make things worse with their Um, With their partner. And so it isn't necessarily their first like I'm going to do this because of of this. The other thing that we are very cautious about is making sure that when we sit down, we talk to somebody that we can um, that we can reach or show the criteria of the either domestic or harassment restraining order. Because the last thing that we wanna do is have somebody go into court and sit in front of a court commissioner or a judge with their partner on the other side and then be told no. You don't, want, you, you don't meet the, the criteria. And unfortunately, when there's domestic abuse involved in that, then what that does to the partner is it makes them feel like they won, like they have more power. They're going to reinforce the fact that, see, everybody believes me, nobody believes you, which is a lot of what they're told in their home Already. anyway. Yep. And so we want, we're pretty careful about, about um, uh, what, what we, you know, how we do restraining orders because we don't ever want to send somebody into court to be told no with their partner sitting on the other side, and then have them use that against them um, that they were told no.
0: Now, Harbor House will offer, uh, a, I think you call it a legal advocate or a, or a staff member that will help through the process and will sit in, in on the restraining order hearings um, if the party does not have an attorney or, or requests that. True? Yes. Now, I am amazed by some of the stories I've heard over the years of restraining orders that have been filed by uh, a, a, a party or a client, and they've attended these hearings by themselves. So these restraining order paperwork, rec- paperwork requires the parties to identify the abuse. And sometimes people will attach multi-page documents outlining dates, specific things that happen, and some of it can be general or or more generic and sometimes it's very specific and detailed and for those victims to have to come to court and verbalize under oath in front of the court commissioner or judge all of these things that happened and the partner uh, person who's perpetrated this is sitting you know 10 feet from them staring at them while they're testifying I think would be a a horrifyingly scary situation and so um, I think the fact that that an advocate is is available, even if they don't have an attorney. Is something everybody should try to use because navigating that process would be so scary, and, and they're already feeling um, vulnerable because of the situation they're in.
2: Right, and it is. I think the legal, honestly, the legal process for many victims is is just as threatening or just as scary as being at home with that person. I, it is just so overwhelming. And so hard and and so it it really honestly, just to have somebody to sit down with you and try to walk you through it and help you actually you know this this is where you do it, and this is kind of how you know this is the process, and those sorts of things takes so much um, you know just i think some relief. Um, because it, it is such a, it's just such an overwhelmingly scary thing, and many times, in, in with uh, domestic violence victims, they've had the law or they've had these things threatened, right? Like, and especially, you know, there's an imbalance there. There's an imbalance of power. That's what domestic violence is about. It's about power and control. And so, generally, one person has control over most of the money and most of the decisions, and they've done that for the probably the majority of the relationship. And so when you're the one on the other end that has no access to money, no access to, uh, you know, really anything, and you're going up against somebody who has always told you, I'm going to take everything and you're going to have nothing and, and you know, go ahead and nobody will believe you, it's very daunting.
0: I've had a lot of people that have scheduled initial appointments for various family law matters and they miss their appointment and when we call them up to make sure things are okay and if they wanted to reschedule, see, people have said that they've been in the parking lot in their vehicle and they could not get out of the vehicle because the prospect of acknowledging and actually taking that next step, whether it's divorce or, or something else, was so anxiety
2: provoking that they just turned around. Yep, that happens a lot actually at Harbor House. I always tell people that most people think that the first place that domestic violence uh, victims come is to Harbor House. We're the last, we're generally the last. Place because when you walk through our door, it's kind of a reality. You know, you, we sit down with you with all the information and lay it out for you, and and y- you get to see it. And um, it's it is. I mean, it's it's kind of reality hitting you like hitting you like a train.
0: Do do parents that come in that um, are in a relationship that want to you know end the relationship due to whatever type of abuse that's going on. Do they ever say that um it's it's a fear of losing their children because of the violence that happened or the fear of losing their children because they don't have the resources or the finances to go further um does that prevent a lot of people from pursuing uh terminating the relationship
2: you know getting counseling separating I I would probably say the majority it is They're the because um most people that have abusive behaviors most partners will always use the children if there's children involved they will use them to make you feel like a bad parent they'll try to destroy your relationship with your children so you're one of the things that that abusive people do is they're constantly making the partner or the children choose them over everything so it's me or this it's me or that and so they're constantly making the people in their lives choose them and that's that's One of the things, excuse me, that happens with with custody is they're constantly set, and you know what? You can leave, but the kids stay, right? Or you go ahead and, and file for divorce, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure you get nothing, and that includes the kids. And I'm gonna get full custody, and you're never gonna get to see them. And that is a huge, 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 huge threat. I often tell people when I'm doing presentations that the number one reason that a an abused parent stays is to protect their children. Because if they're there, they can either put the kids behind them or they can divert the anger to them. And the number one reason that an abused parent leaves is to protect their children because they start seeing... The perception. Yep. And they start seeing um, either the abuse start gearing towards the kids or they start seeing the abusive behaviors coming out in the kids. Oh, true. And so that that a lot of times gets, um, I would say, especially moms at least, um, that gets them to leave a lot Quicker than the actual physical abuse to them, because they take.
0: I'll take it. I will withstand this as long as my children are protected from it. And and face it, kids are smarter than a lot of people give them credit. I know a lot of people will tell me, "Well, our children have no idea that we're getting a divorce, or our children have no idea this or that." And. I really doubt that. I think kids are perceptive. They pick up on things. They may not talk about it, and, and it's unfortunate that children have to hold in so much that they hold in, but I guarantee that way more children see these things in their households than the parents are willing to admit or want to admit because then the parents feel bad.
2: Right, yeah. And then they kind of have to face the another another layer of this. And I hear it all the time, and especially when I was a children's advocate, and I know we have two amazing children's advocates at Harbor House now, and they hear it all the time. And that is, well, they don't know. You know, my son doesn't know. Um, and and then we have a 20-minute conversation with the parent and the child and find out, yeah, he was sitting on top of the stairs. Right. And so he heard everything. But then he went back to bed before you had a chance to know anything. Or I've had uh, parents say, well, you know, they, they don't know because they were at their Maybe that they're remarried or whatever, and so they were at their their dad's house or they're at their mom's house. But then I always ask them, it's like, okay, but here's the thing. The kids know because your actions and reactions change towards your kids and towards each other as you're heading into an explosive moment or an explosive incident. And so when I was doing uh, children working with kids and families, um, the kids usually knew that the explosive incident was coming. They could sense it. Yep, and, and mostly it was because – you you don't realize how much as the victim, how much your actions and actions and reactions change and your focus changes and your concentration changes and your patience level change and your kids start recognizing that. And so they know. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. They know.
0: You, just
2: came to mind, but, you know,
0: these days I would suspect most households have, if there's two parents, both parents are working. um. Uh, or if there's one parent, I assume that parent's working and and children are scheduled and overscheduled and they have homework and they have activities and there's a lot of expectations on everybody. Is there any evidence or do we know whether um, domestic violence on the whole has increased in the last 40 years or 50 years since it was when uh, the more typical or at least more typical than today that one of the parents stayed home? Is there any correlation to parents being busier and, and just society in general? Because I would expect that a stressor, as you mentioned before, sometimes can be a, a trigger
2: of someone having an episode. Sure. I mean, you know, there's certain things that it, that make, make the situations worse, but they don't cause the domestic violence and they don't cause the issues and the crisis and the chaos in the home. I personally and I get asked this all the time, but I personally don't think that there's more. I think we're disclosing more, so I think more we're 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 educating better it's you know the topic comes up um we talk about it more, we learn about it more you know we're we're in the schools um you know we go out into our communities it's on t v so I just think that you know I think that we talk about it more, which gives people permission to disclose it's It's sad that you look at it that way. But it really, you know, that's one when, when I train, like I train nurses and and uh, doctors. And one of the things I always say is that you have to ask the question. You have to ask them. And I know it's an uncomfortable question, but you have to ask them because if you don't, you don't give them you don't give them permission to tell you. Right. Otherwise, they think that they have to keep it a secret and they have to keep it hidden because it's very embarrassing and and they don't want anybody to know. But if we, you know, if we let them know that we notice then we, we at least opens the door, and they may say no, but then you keep, you keep opening that door, and then one of the times, hopefully, right. when they're ready, they'll disclose. And then you can help the whole family. Um, right, that's so. the
1: key. It's 448. We'll take our final break, come back, and uh, wrap things up for today. Law Talk with Hurling Clark here on WHBY. Our Tuesday edition of Law Talk with Hurling Clark, Kelly Kelly, and her guest Tracy Plomin in studio with
0: us. Well, we were just talking that we made it through the first 50-some minutes here, and and no one cut the mic for us, so we must be doing okay, right, Tracy? That's right. Uh, One of the things that uh, is a hard predictor or uh, aspect of a family law attorney is the differences in county-to-county or judge-to-judge on a particular issue. Um, We do have universal statutes in the state of Wisconsin, and those are available to anybody, uh, and in theory... The statute is the law. But different judges and in in different counties, the procedures differently, Um, people's personal definition of the word reasonable or equitable or fair vary. Um, And so when I have clients that come in and they would like understandably some sort of certainty and they want to know what's the result going to be here, I can't give that to them. And I, I do tell them if they meet an attorney that says, I can guarantee you're going to have your children primarily, or you're going to get X amount of money for child support or maintenance, that's probably somebody they should shy away from because we can't make guarantees as lawyers. I mean, we just can't. Um, I suppose that parents, when they're in a, in a domestic uh, violence relationship, that's something else that would stop them from terminating the relationship is because they don't know what's going to happen in the future. They don't know what a divorce is going to bring to them, to their children, how often they're going to see the children, um, and the fears that are associated with that. What what are your thoughts on that fear and the unpredictability as a as a stopper for people?
2: Yeah, I mean we we face the same thing, and it it is very difficult. And you know, like we were talking earlier, it's you know it's one thing when we're in you know the county that we're that we're based in, and, and the people there know us. But when it's outside that county, nobody knows who we are or why we're there, and it is very difficult. And and there is no certainty. We can't we can't guarantee that anything is going to go one way um and it is a huge deterrent for people to follow through with a divorce or with a restraining order or with any kind of you know custody or anything like that and again you have to remember when it's domestic violence that there's been so many threats and many of them already carried out right that when somebody tells them something that that abusive partner they believe them and so when they say that i'm going to get the kids um you know i i mean seriously if i had a quarter for every time I did that, I could. You'd be on your private island right now. Yeah, I could. I could just get, you know retire and volunteer at Harbor House, and and um, and still have plenty of money. So um, because that's what they come in and they go like, well, you know, he or she said said this, and it's like, okay, not you know, let's let's just take a step back, let's breathe. Let's they just don't get pause. to decide how the future works, either. Right. That, right? And I would say that's not quite how divorce works. But then again, there are no guarantees, and so well, the way I usually do it is well, you know generally it could go like this this and this, but it could always it could also do this, this, and this. I used to start out a lot of my conversations with okay, you're not going to like everything I have to say, but know that i'm on your side that's what I tell clients all the time it's not i'm not telling you
0: things you want to hear i'm telling you the way I think it." Is likely to be, or is is
2: a, a definite chance of being, right, right, yeah. right. And it's always best to be honest and and honestly. I learned that from kids. It's best just to be to be honest and and kind of put it out there. Um and 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 that's really how I kind of developed how I deal with people. Um, because they appreciate that, and then they can navigate when when we're not when we sugarcoat things or. Or, you know, kind of try to take detours around things, then, you know, too often, then we set people up to fail.
0: We don't want to do that. All right. Well, we are wrapping up our time here on Law Talk. This has been fun. Tracy, thanks for coming in and and helping me out here. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully we gave people some uh, information and things to think about. Um, I certainly can be contacted at the office, uh, 920-739-7366. Uh, you can look us up at hurlingclark.com. Um, Tracy, how would anyone get in contact with Harbor House if they needed to?
2: Uh, Harbor House number is 920-832-1667. And otherwise, it's uh, uh, dot org. All right. Thank you.
1: All right. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Tracy. That does it for Law Talk with Hurling Clark here on
2: WHBY.